0: You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa,
1: wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay.
0: Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff.
1: Centering feed, Attendant for Garland, comes up front. They score. Dakota Joshua cutting to the net. He dekes to the backhand and tucks it past a sprawling Peter Mrazic. That's unbelievable, right there. That shows how tight this team is um, and the character we have in our room. Phil Castle has arrived to meet with the Canucks.
0: A hot dog. We have a wiener.
1: The Department of Player Safety has suspended Morgan Riley for five games. <laughs> Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Halford. It is, is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. dog. good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. And intern Jag, good morning to you as well. morning. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today got a big show ahead. Big, big show ahead. So much to get into from last night. One of the busiest nights of this NHL season that I can remember. There was a lot of stories that we need to get into. We're going to start that at 6.30 with Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts Podcast. Uh, We will talk to him about the Vancouver Canucks, not just getting another win this time in Chicago, but also the looming return of Phil Kessel to the National Hockey League. By way of Abbotsford. We'll talk to Jeff about that at 6.30. 7 o'clock. We're going to keep it on the Canucks. We're going to go into the prospect pool. Scott Wheeler, NHL draft and prospects experts from the Athletic, is going to join us. The Athletic is rolling out its annual prospect pool rankings across the National Hockey League. The good news for the Canucks. They're all the way up to number 18. Oh, my on God. On the 18. The bad is that they started at 28th last They're nearly going to make the playoffs in the prospect rankings. No, they're not. There's still four spots out, but that's fine. <laughs> Two spots out. Uh, Scott Wheeler's going to join us at 7, 8 o'clock. Manny Viveros, the head coach of the Western Hockey League's Vancouver Giants. We are giving away something new today to the listeners as well. That's a big development. A $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing. Yes, the folks that make primetime craft beer, we're going to give away a $100 gift card to Primetime Bridge Brewing for the best what we learned. And I think it's appropriate that you have to win with a beer emoji, like the little glass with the suds on top. Okay? Everyone got that? Hashtag it WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Text it to six fifty six fifty. That's the Dunbar Lumber Text line. And tell us. Uh, make it good too that's important and put a beer emoji into the text we are coming to you live from the kintech studio kintech canada's favorite
0: orthotics provider powered by thousands of five star google reviews sore feet what are you waiting for
1: kintech i can't believe i forgot to throw to you for that i'm sorry I yeah you're... i was really excited to talk about the show
0: yeah and i forgot about Kintec. no I, I actually like it because it means you're not on automatic robot halford his, I'm red, to... his
1: red shirt's throwing him off
0: i wore a red shirt today yeah i don't know why is that one of Tiger Woods's Sunday red? It's not. So sun,
1: sun break day break red. red. Um, I got changed in the dark this morning. Okay, <laughs> and and you, I, saw, and you saw that bright red shirt? It was like lighting up your room. It's actually. also inside. It out. looked great. It illuminated the room. And so anyway, I got in, and then they flicked on the live stream, the camera for the live stream, and I was like. I can't believe I'm wearing red, but anyway, I am wearing red. The Canucks are winning. We got a lot to get into, so Laddie, without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened.
0: Hey, did you guys see the
1: game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed, you missed that. What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Dakota Joshua from the third line had three points. And Connor Garland from the third line scored two goals. Vancouver Canucks have a very businesslike win over the Chicago Blackhawks on Tuesday. 4-2 at the United Center. Take care of business. Go home. Take your points. The third line. I love that line so much. So much
0: of the game of hockey is about winning puck battles and... That's not easy. I know we all love the speed and skill, and speed and skill is obviously important. But you need to get the puck first, and then you have to hold on to it. This third line wants the puck so badly, and they work so hard to keep it. And now you're seeing the bottom line of all that hard work. We didn't necessarily see the goals early in the season. I remember um, a lot of talk about Connor Garland's lack of finish, a lot of it coming from me and wondering if maybe he should use a longer stick or something. And Dakota Joshua, who, you know, still makes stick handling look tough at times, but, man, he's putting the puck in the net. And these guys aren't just grinders either. Uh, There's also been a good amount of creative playmaking shown by the third line. Um, especially, I would say, most of all by Teddy Bluger, the center, who's had some really nice passes, which I did not expect when the Canucks signed him. On the first goal by Garland, Hronick made a nice quick up to Garland, who gave it to Joshua, who gave it back to Garland for the goal. Uh, They call that a give-and-go, Halford. I don't know if you've heard that in sports. Give-and-go. I give,
1: you go. You give, I go. I get it. All four Canucks
0: lines dominated against the Blackhawks, who are terrible. Uh, Even Luke Richardson, the head coach of the Blackhawks, last night was just like, you know, we've liked the effort in the last few games. They do try really hard. They did last night. I'll give him credit. Luke Richardson last night was like, we didn't like our effort last night. The, the effort in the first period was bad granted yeah it took them what 18 minutes and a power play to get uh, their first sorry. shot
1: 19 minutes and 30 seconds they got their first shot in the first period with 30 seconds left and then they got the Bronx cheer from the United Center faithful
0: uh for the Canucks the third line had three goals and oddly enough the line we talked about wanting to see yesterday Rick Tockett must have been listening to the show because he put it together Hoaglander Lindholm and Pedersen got the other one after some really nice work on the forecheck by Elias Lindholm. That was a great forecheck. Lindholm used that. He's a, he's a big dude. I I actually didn't appreciate how big and strong he was. He used his big body to move the Blackhawks defenseman off the puck. Boc- Jacob Menga. Well, <laughs> Megna. Magna, 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 Magna did not Manga. did not look good on that. Nope. He just got shoved out of the way, <laughs> and that left Holgunder. Another goal for Hoagie, the opportunity to sweep in and pick up the loose puck. So, another goal for Hoaglander. Uh, the Canucks weren't perfect on the night. The Blackhawks' first goal came on the power play after Bluger tried to flip it high and send Lindholm on a breakaway. One problem he didn't flip it high enough, and Lindholm gambled and lost. And I think it was Felino at the point that kept it in. Um, and their second came against. The third line gave up a goal. Unbelievable. After Quinn Hughes ruining it for the third line, got caught pinching, and the Hawks scored on a two-on-one. But overall, this was a domination by the Canucks, and Rick Tockett called it a business-like win just because the Canucks should dominate a team like the Hawks, and the Canucks out ended up outshooting them uh, 38-23. to There were maybe a few worrying moments um, when the Blackhawks made it 2-1, to They very nearly made it 2-2 to uh, on a – hit the crossbar, and then it went the other way for that Lindholm forecheck and Hoaglander goal. So, um, but, I mean, listen, the Canucks probably would have won it anyway because they were the far better team on the night.
1: There should be one and only one predominant takeaway from this game, and that's the third line. So, Sportsnet Stats sent out a graphic – Last night in the Canucks last thirty games, a stretch in which they've gone an NHL best twenty-one, four, and five. The third line is combined for guess how many points in the last thirty games that line is combined for? I have no idea. Sixty. That's crazy. It's the third line. Mm-hmm. Dakota Joshua has 10 goals and 10 assists. Connor Garland has 9 goals and 11 assists. You mentioned Teddy Bluger's playmaking. He's got 16 assists in the last 30 games. Yeah, They are contributing at a clip that the majority of other NHL teams would love to see out of their first line. <laughs> it, it is a crazy thing to the point where I'm not even really interested because the post-game show I was listening in on the way in and they were talking about, oh, you know, the top 6-4 group at 5-on-5 five five, and I'm like, look. Good hockey teams have depth, and good hockey teams can rely on different units and different groups and different lines at stages of the season. At stages of the season. To pick up the slack when other guys aren't going.
0: And that's what Talkit said, but you know that the coaching staff is worried
1: about getting the top six going at five on five. Understandable. I would say to that, look, take your time. You can rely, play the third line more. <laughs> Figure things out with your top six and turn these guys into your top six. There is nothing that these guys aren't doing well right now. And that's what you put in the notes. Like you are lo- you love everything about this line. Yeah. You love their tenacity on the puck. You love their playmaking ability. You're mm-hmm. kind of starting to love their finish now. Yeah. Because the one thing that they didn't have was finding the back of the net. Garland and uh, Joshua have 19 goals combined in the last 30 games. Yeah. Like it's almost every game that they're putting up points. They start every game now because they bring the energy. They've been the best. I, I, they were the best line on that, that trip throughout the five games, I would say, collectively. Oh. Easily. And last night they put a punctuation mark on it. There were times in that first period where it felt like the Canucks had the puck for, I don't know, three, three and a half minutes at the time. Like the, the Chicago Blackhawks not having any shots through 19 minutes and 30 seconds was fully earned and fully deserved. They didn't have the puck enough to shoot it. And the third line was just out there just churning and spinning and keeping going it's impressive to watch again had no inclination that this could be a thing let Mm -hmm. alone be one of the best things in the season but it's the best third line in the nhl without question and it's turning into one of the best stories in the nhl this year name all the other third lines in the nhl well uh vegas has one Edmonton has one. (laughs) I don't need to know the components of another third line because if you can tell me that, do they have business cards that say the Uh, third line? By the way, the guy that put the no-name brand third line, like the chip bag, was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. That's that's they should make shirts actually and wear them around. Uh, So the Canucks are back home. Um,
0: Their last home game was that Columbus game before the All Star break, which seems like a long time ago. Kind of was. January 27th, the one that they were down 4-1. They came back to win in overtime. Uh, They'll host the Red Wings, the grittying Red Wings, on Thursday. And And then Saturday, they host the Winnipeg Jets. So two interesting games coming up. First of all, revenge against the Detroit Red Wings, I say as I roll my eyes, but also a pretty tough game Saturday night, hockey night in Canada against the Winnipeg Jets. And guess what? Then it's back on the road for Minnesota, Colorado, and Seattle. Uh, I'll really be interested to see how they play in Colorado. Yep. And then it's home for some fun opponents, Boston, Pittsburgh, the LA Kings. They, they have it's a, t- s- it's a tough road to hoe. But but and but then you know it's it's not long before the trade deadline and that nine game home stretch they they've already played a lot of games on the road mm-hmm. they've got a really home heavy stretch um, for most of the rest of the season and hopefully that will give them advantage they've been good on the road and at Rogers Arena this season so um, you know I'm not sure how much more of an advantage but. <laughs> You know, things I like, still you know, I still have to take a moment just to say how incredible this season has gone. Mm-hmm. This was the adversity trip and there were some moments on this trip for sure. They but dabbled at the end in of adversity. The day, yeah. They dabbled in adversity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they were like they're like everything in moderation including adversity. You know, the Boston game did not go well. But they ended 3-1-1 one, and one on the road trip. So let's get to the Phil Kessel news. Because okay. Halford, we can talk about the other stuff. we got to talk
1: about Kessel. Well, I, I wanted we to talk I, about okay, Kessel. Okay, well, I, Phil Kessel, is, you actually segued in nicely. Because we've been talking a lot about vibes on this team, right? The good vibes. By the way, Laddie, before we get to Kessel, I do want to play this. Because I think it ties in nicely. There was a moment yesterday, near the end of the game, where Mackenzie Entwistle buried Connor Garland. And who stepped up for Connor Garland? It was his liney. Dakota Joshua and, you know, had a scrap. And you know what? I thought about it in the aftermath. He had a scrap on two goals. He could have been out there with the empty net at the end, but he was busy serving his time in the sin bin sticking up for Connor Garland. Connor Garland, unprompted in his walk-off interview with Kate Pedersen, brought this up. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll play the audio now. So I, I don't know if we have the question or not. If we don't, I'll just paraphrase it real quick. Kate basically said, what are you most looking forward to about getting back to Vancouver? Not a leading question in any way. Here's what Connor Garland had to say. Oh, I owe Dak a dinner tonight. That's um that's unbelievable right there. That shows how tight this team is. Um, you know, and the character we have in our room to do that. Um, you know, we got a good group in there. So we're just going to enjoy uh, tonight. And then we'll, we'll fly back in the morning and be ready for uh, Detroit and the uh, home homework. we have been home with our fans a while, so we're excited. Do you remember at the start of the season when training camp opened and it was like, is Connor Garland forcing his way out? And then him and Dakota Joshua got into like, they were slashing each other, got into a little bit of like an FU contest. Well,
0: do you remember when
1: uh, Rick Tockett was throwing shade at Dakota Joshua? Those two guys were pretty maligned at the beginning of the year. Yeah, That's fair to say, right? Mm -hmm. They were, the spotlight was on them and not for a good reason. And now they're like the best of buds on a team where the vibes are like sky high. You know, Joshua heard about Garland's remarks and that he was asked, you know, Garland's going to take you out for dinner. He's like, well, better be somewhere expensive. So it's good. Like now I say all this because the Phil Kessel thing comes up and yesterday, multiple reports and shout out to Canucks Twitter who managed to break the story ahead. of Everyone by taking a picture of Phil Kessel at YVR with his Vegas Golden Knights bag on the carousel playing on his phone. Phil Kessel is anyone. Sorry? It could have been anyone. It could have been any former Vegas Golden Knight with ties to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization it just happened to be Phil Kessel. However, uh we will do you want to play the audio from Dolly here? Or do you want do you have something you want to say first? Let's play the audio from Rick Dollywall about what exactly is going to happen, how this came to be, and what the future has in store for Phil Kessel and the Vancouver Canucks. Well, a big turn of events this afternoon in Vancouver is Phil Kessel has arrived to meet with the Canucks He's gonna work
0: out for them, skate for them as well, and if everything goes well, then a possible signing. Last week, I said the Canucks were poking around Kessel. Well, there's a great relationship there with Rick Tockett, uh, Jim Rutherford, and Patrick Elvin as well. The Canucks talked with Kessel's camp in the summer, uh,
1: but uh, elected to go with younger players at the time, and they also had too many bodies at camp as well. Uh, three to four teams have kept in touch with Kessel's agent Wade or not throughout this entire process, obviously including the Canucks, that's why he's here. Now, Kessel is going to
0: provide, if he signs, uh, depth and scoring as well.
1: I got my wish. I really wanted to see Kessel, but you got to understand where that's coming from. That's because I like Phil Kessel, is one of my favorite hockey players of the last. Two decades for what? What reason is he? Your favorite? Um, I like okay. The personality is a big part the of it. The personality right? is the is. The, would you say that's top of the list? Possibly the driving. Also, the fact like the way that he looks and the way that he kind of carries himself. Like, yeah, um, yeah. give me a, a coke and a burger, and I'll go out and pot two goals. I love all that. There was a great quote from Clayton Keller,
0: um, and he said, "Former teammate in Arizona, I know he's been working out and skating and hoping for a job here soon." He's just an unbelievable teammate. One of the best guys that I've played with just in terms of the locker room and how he treats people. He's always in a good mood. I'm really hoping that he can get a job here soon. And, of course, there was that quote from Rick Talk, and It was a short quote, but he said, there's value in Phil Kessel. Yeah. So the question I have is, where is the value for the Vancouver Canucks? Where does he fit in the current lineup? Could he play with Petey? Uh, asking him to play a top six role at this point in his career. I don't know about that. Does he still have the legs? Well, that's why I'm not like, yeah, that guy's great legs. Does he, can he keep right. up in the NHL? I guess that's why they're going to go skate him in Abbotsford and see how he looks. Like there's no guarantee, no guarantee. that they're going to give this that's guy a, good point. a contract, but it's, you know, it's trending that way. Um, could he be, could they be bringing him in for the room? I know he's won a few Stanley Cups. Um maybe they feel that they need a guy like that in the room or at the very least why not bring him in. Um and the final question is just how fun is this all going to be? The season has already been really fun then you bring in a guy like Phil Castle mm-hmm. <laughs> to to add to it. Um you know listen I I still I I have to admit I'm I'm struggling to see the fit, but maybe this is part of a bigger plan by a management and coaching staff that has
1: been pretty much knocking every move out of the park this season. It could be as simple as nothing ventured, oh, nothing gained from the Canucks' perspective. If you don't try it, then you'll never know. And if you try it, the risk is so incredibly low. Like, what's the what's the worst thing that happens here? Is that they bring him in and they realize that he he can't keep up even in a complimentary role. Or a part-time role. And they say, you know, thanks. You got you to see what Abbotsford looks mm-hmm. like, right? There's a casino out there. Go play some poker. Like, yeah. You know, that's about it. Big picture. They're probably hoping. And, you know, you did see this earlier in the year. Now, granted, uh, apples to bowling balls in terms of comparison and players. But, like, Zach Parise joined the Colorado Avalanche not too long ago. After basically doing a carbon copy of what Kessel did last year. He played all 82 games in the regular season. Took a bunch of time off. Kessel actually got some playoff games and just kind of waited. Mm -hmm. And there was some thought that it was, okay, uh, Parise Moore wanted to not go through the rigors of another 82-game regular season. He was going to join someone midway just so that he could spend time with his family and rest and recover his body. It sounded like Kessel wanted to play straight away from the start of the year, but now is where he's getting his look at it. I'm with you on, I have a hard time seeing the actual fit. Like, I love it from a personal perspective, but his last NHL game was a playoff game in Winnipeg on April 24th of 2023. Mm-hmm. He played nine minutes and 42 seconds, and then he was a healthy scratch for the rest of the playoffs. He sat with Teddy Bluger. He did, right? That's Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> they were just like, where well, you get to watch? Now, uh, Sat and Bick talked a ton about this on the post-game show yesterday. And they brought up all the things you would kind of assume, the most logical stuff, right? Is it's like you have to really love hockey at 36 to come back and, like, one, keep in shape. And then two, try and work your way back like Phil Kessel's doing. Mm-hmm. Like Phil Kessel could have called it a career and said, I have my time, I have my day. Yeah. I played for a long time. I've been a member of three Stanley Cup teams. Like, there's not a ton more I need to accomplish in the NHL. So you have to love the game a lot to be coming back and doing this. And secondly, if the legs are still there, you could find far worse options as a emergency injury replacement than Phil Kessel, right? You could I mean, he did score 14 goals last year for Vegas. So he's got some pop left. Are the is the skating speed there? Probably not, but you're talking about if you have aspirations of going deep, you're going to suffer some injuries along the way. Mm-hmm. And you could find worse guys to plug into your lineup than Phil Kessel. By the way, if you're in Abbotsford, the plan right now, they got a week off. Mm-hmm. They played last Saturday. They don't play again until Saturday, the 17th, this upcoming Saturday. Is he just going to practice with them then? I imagine he'll skate for a couple days, and then you'd think they have to look at him in a game. I mean, I've got no – I didn't talk to anyone about this. I didn't reach out. This happened late. I woke up early. My guess would be that with games on Saturday and Monday, the rare 2 p.m. matinee on Monday for Family Day mm-hmm. out in Abbotsford – at the very least, he's got an opportunity to get a game in. Right. In which case, he would be coached by Jeremy Colleton, who's three years older than Phil Kessel, which is a great story all on its own. So I'm hoping that it works out. I, Like you kind of alluded to, putting faith in the process that, uh, one, this management group has done a good job at pro scouting. And, two, all their other previous relationships from Pittsburgh seem to have worked out great. You know, like, name me a guy that they brought over from Pittsburgh. Be it the coaching at the coaching level, the player level that hasn't been a pretty good fit. Yeah, I'm happy with it. So uh, hopefully it works out. Uh, We'll talk to Jeff Merrick coming up
0: about Phil Kessel. And of course, Merrick was in Toronto when Phil Kessel was in Toronto. Um, and he's followed his career super closely. The other guy we can talk to about Phil Kessel is uh Manny Viveros. Yeah, that's right. At eight o'clock because he was an assistant, uh, coach with the Vegas Golden Knights so they definitely were on they were on the same team Manny and and Phil like for sure you're just going to google that real quick yep um so the other things we're going to talk about with Jeff Merrick coming up is Morgan Riley getting five games and me being right again about the suspension length I guess five you guys all went six yeah you're right I, I think uh
1: Laddie took b- bid one dollar, <laughs> just in case we were all over. You did do the prices right, by the way. Manny was the um, head coach of the AHL's Henderson Silver Knights. Okay, yeah, he wasn't the assistant, so coach wasn't he wasn't. So he kind of knows him for the organization. Oh or no, from the organization, he might know. He's like the black ace of coaches, right? He would have been okay. at camp and stuff. I was yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 sure. Shoehorned
0: that one in. So it, you know what was funny about the Leafs last night is uh, they didn't have Riley, and they were also missing Marner and Tavares. Illnesses or something like that, yep. and they still went out and beat the Blues four to one. And you just know they're going to try and rally around this, aren't they? Like they're yeah. just gonna, they're just gonna be like, the NHL is out to get us, but they can't get us. Um, Apparently, Brad living is going to talk to the media today about the suspension. That so should be entertaining. I'm sure he's got some sort of speech lined up. Also, who is Bobby McMahon? Because he had a hat trick for
1: the Leafs last night. I don't know. I thought he Bobby was a, McMahon. I thought he was a soccer analyst for Fox, but it turns out that he plays for the uh, Toronto <laughs> Blues. By the way, he I both. I want to go to. I want to go to break with this. Laddie strolled in here this morning. He's like, "You see the Leafs game last night?" And then his headline was, uh, "Leafs shop Tavares ahead of trade deadline." Like, Why do you need him? Why do you need him? Well, Marner too. Yeah, Connor McDavid had a
0: six assist night as well. The uh, Red Wings weren't doing many gritties last night against the Edmonton. (laughs) They were sure allowing a lot of goals though, especially in the third period. And the LA Kings, we talk about the LA Kings. They got embarrassed in Buffalo. Seven to nothing was the final. Anze Kopitar, former Selkie Trophy winner and considered one of the best two-way forwards in NHL history was
1: a minus six on the night. First selkie winner in NHL history to go minus six in a single game. So congrats, Anze, you did it. The plus minus talk on the Halford. And I know. I was I love so it. excited. I love it. I was so happy when that stand. hit Yesterday, does that mean he's the worst defensive forward on the LA Kings? Yeah, because he went. I mean, maybe, it of, makes sense. Time. It maybe makes of all times. It makes sense. Right? He's not going to win the Bud Light Trophy now. There's no chance. <laughs> You're listening to the best of Halford and Broff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Broff. 7:34 on a Wednesday. You know, it's not just any Wednesday, Jason. What, what kind
0: of Wednesday is it? It's
1: Valentine's Day. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Another reason why I kind of regret wearing red. Mm. Are you bros, Are you bros Valentine? Is that, is that the idea? We well. I because we're the reason why is because we we're not doing the annual Halford and Bruff Curtain Blog Valentine's Day thing. Yeah. Right, And a couple people have asked, because I guess either they didn't get the memo or they just really liked it. It used to be that Jason, and exclusively Jason, in his annual masterpiece, would put together a Valentine's Day playlist of his favorite 80s love ballads and often dedicate them to a Canuck. Mm -hmm. But it just petered out. Said You just said you were done with it. It just didn't have the same zest. Yeah. So you got to know when to end the bit. You got to know when to hold them and know when to not do Valentine's Day songs anymore. <laughs> so uh, in our last segment, we asked the
0: listeners uh, not to go house of negativity on anyone, but... This is important, um, by the way. Yeah. Um, what do you think that Canucks management is concerned about? Because you know they're working hard behind the scenes. I don't think Jim Rutherford and Patrick Galvin are like, well, we've got it made.
1: Just, we're good. Let's yeah. go to the playoffs.
0: Let's do it. Uh, you know They're bringing in Phil Kessel to have a look. So why are they doing that? For what reason? What else are they working on? Um, we've heard multiple reports that the Canucks, even after acquiring Lindholm, may not be done. And a lot of you have texted in the same stuff about the top six. And Qualicum Golf Guy texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line and said, I don't like being captain obvious, but I am honestly concerned about the top six not being able to play and win the five on five battle in the playoffs. There are not as many power plays in the playoffs. So our potent power play which isn't always potent, by the way, Mm. won't be able to do the same damage as the regular season. Um, A comment, isn't it nice, though, that with this management team, we actually have the depth that has us praising the bottom six Mm -hmm. forwards rather than the last 10 years where we knew they were a clear weak point. Um, Yeah, there are uh, um, a lot of people texting in just – about the top six. Austin and Langley, I think management is worried about the top six still. Makayev coming off of major ACL surgery is still missing a step. I think they still need to add another complimentary guy. I also wonder if they should focus on building a defensive third line and just make the third line the second line.
1: Make the third line the first line. There's your, pro- there's your top six problem.
0: Um, here's another one that I think is interesting and I have some time for. The Canucks, this is unsigned, the Canucks have too big a gap between their top two defensemen and the rest. They only have two top four defensemen. Even if they stay healthy, the defense is not strong enough against better teams who will have a chance to plan to attack the bottom four, get one or two injuries, and then it's Friedman. Myers is not a top four defenseman on a cup winner. The top two are plus 105. The rest are minus minus twenty there's plus minus for you. Yes. The D and lack of quality depth will be the downfall if there is one. Uh and other people are just concerned that we don't really know what the depth is because the Canucks haven't been tested from that perspective just because outside of Carson Soucy who's had two uh yeah, fairly significant year.
1: injuries um they haven't been any other injuries? I'm going to use this opportunity to shout out another guy that probably doesn't get enough praise, Noah Juleson. He's
0: been he's been a very very nice development.
1: I was beyond skeptical when he was brought aboard, and then it's and then I got the sort of framework and picture in the preseason that he was going to be an almost every night guy. I just didn't think it was. Feasible for a team that had playoff aspirations to have him logging those kind of minutes. And I don't think I was being overly negative. I think it was the reality. I didn't, there was nothing over his body of work up until this year that showed that he could be a sort of every night NHL defenseman. He right. was in the American League for a ton of time. Mm-hmm. That guy deserves a ton of credit. And Tockett pointed him out specifically last night when they were asking about who played well. And he's like, well, that third line seems to be doing the business. And he liked the chemistry between Hoaglander and Petey, and then unprompted brought up Juleson. He's like, I thought Juleson was excellent for us tonight. Mm-hmm. And he said that a few times, and that's a two-pronged thing. One, it's a testament to how the guy is playing currently, but I think talk it also brings it up because it's a reflection of if you do the things that we tell you to do and you do them well, you're going to thrive. Because that's really what Juleson's been about, is they said, and I think a lot of credit, I have to go to Foot and Gonchar on this, here are the things that you need to do with your skill set and more importantly, in your role on this team. And Juleson was a savvy enough guy to be like, okay, if I go out and I can execute the game plan that my defensive coaches put in front of me, I'm not just going to survive in the NHL. I can thrive a little bit as a third pairing guy. Like, I don't have much of a concern about him going in to the postseason. I actually think his game might be a little bit more robust in the postseason when it gets physical because yeah. that's kind of his calling card, right? So. Now, the depth, I don't even think this is a Connect specific thing. I think anybody's blue line, you start talking about the playoffs, and you start talking about depth. you like, what happens when the injuries mm-hmm. come? What happens when one of our guys gets plastered into the end boards on a forecheck, right? Because there's some guy running around 1,000 miles an hour. Yeah. You need – I mean, I'll, I think I've mentioned this anecdote before on the show, but Lawrence Gilman, way back in the day, said he, he thought that West Coast teams with the travel and everything else needed nine defensemen to make a run to the Stanley Cup final. And, and I mean, he might be right. I kind of remember one of the deep runs of Anaheim a few years ago. I think they it petered out in the conference final, and they were down to playing ninth defenseman Corbinian Holzer. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens. So I, I got time for that argument, but I don't think it's connect-specific. Um,
0: a lot of people texting in about finding the right wingers for Pedersen. And I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I'm glad to see that it was Hoaglander, Pedersen, and Lindholm yeah, last night. And I hope I hope maybe they just stick with that for a little bit, even if there are some bumps along the road. And Rick Tockett even acknowledged it after the game. Like he said, like, I've bumped Lindholm around a lot. <laughs> and he's been here for like two weeks. Yeah, he whatever. has moved around a right? lot. Right? Like, he, you know, he, he he's moved around a lot. And I think um, – you know again that play that he made on the third goal was such a smart hockey play. Um and I tweeted this out last night we were we were we just did a practice with our like our U9 team and we're trying to get them to understand body position and it's going about as well as you would expect from about 7 or 8 year olds who are like uh, I just want to fish for the puck. I just want to poke for the puck because oh, poke and hope. if I get body position, then I might, God forbid, make contact with this other guy, and then I might fall down, which is fair enough. What's I mean, the,
1: what's the phrase that you used?
0: Position, uh, sorry, <laughs> position before possession. Got it. So what Lindholm did on that play is he skated as hard as he could, and then was it Jacob Megna? The defenseman, yeah um, there was kind of a fifty fifty puck battle, and Lindholm just moved him, yeah, right, he didn't worry about the puck, he just moved him. it was like an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, just moving the other guy, and
1: Magna did not put up much of a restraint, no it was and then like okay,
0: and then the puck was just left there, and w- what you need to learn a lot as a hockey player is like. You don't necessarily have to get the puck because that's where your teammates come in and support the puck. And Hoaglander did a really good job of supporting the puck. Lindholm took care of the defenseman. The puck was there. Hoaglander scored. Mm -hmm. So that was a really smart hockey play. And it also showed the size and strength of Lindholm on that play. Uh, Pedersen wasn't really involved in that play, but hopefully he can find some chemistry with these guys. I mean, he's buddies with Hoaglander, so you know, maybe that can help a little bit. I, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. you know, they need to find someone that gels with Pedersen because number one, I don't think they want to go to the lotto line necessarily, just based on the fact that Talkett hasn't put it together much this season. And even though it had a good stretch of three games, it quickly went away in terms of how efficient it was. And then, and then it got broken up and we haven't seen it since. You can always go back to it if you need to, but
1: I don't think they
0: want to. So.
1: Talking needs to let the reins loose on Hoaglander a bit, I think. Hoaglander still is getting like zero ice time. He had 10 minutes and 41 seconds last night. Mm-hmm. He scored 17 goals. He got three goals in his last three games, and he's still getting about four and a half, five minutes left, and less than Mikhail. I think that you need to um, let. That trio, the Swedish Trey Kroner trio, it's perfect. It works on a marketing level too. Uh, Let Lindholm and Petey and Hoaglander just play together Mm. and work it out and gain some chemistry. Now, it might come at the expense of Besser Miller's suitor, which has kind of been up and down. A
0: few people texting in about Besser hasn't done much in the last little while, and I would agree with that. And
1: that's okay. Right? I mean, Besser's got... 30 goals and he let the media know about it. Besser got to be streaky though, right? Like he's always, he's always been streaky. Goal scorers are
0: streaky just by nature. Sometimes it's just the, I don't know, distribution of shots that go in versus that don't. But I don't, I don't even think Besser has been getting the chances that he was earlier in the season. But his
1: ROI, that's return on investment for you business night, business school night students out there. Uh, (laughs) It's been, it's been great. So I'm not really too worried about that. If he goes into a funk the last months and he's into the playoffs, then I'll start worrying. But right now, that's not really it. I, I That's the one – my one takeaway, though, is I'd like to see that Pedersen, Lindholm, and Hoaglander line stick together, which means Hoaglander gets more minutes and Lindholm starts bouncing around the lineup. Uh,
0: Tim from South Surrey, guys, the most concerning thing for me in going into the playoffs is the size and the grit. We lack it in both areas. I think Lindholm helps a little bit. Again, he made a physical play on that goal by Hoaglander, but I would tend to agree with you on that. Hoaglander can bring some – Hoaglander's sneaky strong. And when he gets physically involved, um, he can move guys off the puck. It doesn't seem like he's the type of player that should be able to do that, but he is sneaky strong. But I wonder about that too. Uh, Just the makeup the... <laughs> of uh, like, even I, – I, I'm curious to see Pettersson
1: in the playoffs. That was Tim from South Surrey that sent that in, right? Mm-hmm. The follow-up question or the counter that I would ask you, Tim, is: What matchup are you worried about where you're going to be outsized and outgridded or gritted? The only team that's outgridding you is Detroit. Huh? huh? See what I did there? Ah, uh, 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 the dance move. No, but seriously, with um, a, the forward group, it's probably not as prevalent. Although Joshua is emerging as a force, both physically <laughs> and goal scoring wise. But and and the PK, like he
0: is a very good penalty killer.
1: Yeah. And then go to the back end. Is there a more physically imposing back end than when Vancouver has Susie and Zadorov and Myers in mm-hmm. there? Yeah. I mean, I'm, not, I
0: do, I'm not worried about the size I and just don't see it. physicality of the back end.
1: Like, are you talking like Edmonton doesn't have it? Edmonton's not that. Mm-hmm. LA, Vegas I th- is. Vegas is. They've got a good fourth line.
0: No, I'm talking With about maybe the how would am talking Can- about the blue. How line. would the Canucks yeah, star Vegas.
1: players hold up to a deep run? How would they do? What do you mean? In terms of a long run. Like, Physicality? Yeah, phys- physically. I mean, it's going to be a grind for anyone. It's not Again, it's almost like the you need depth on blue line I, for the Canucks and every other team that's going into the playoffs. Like, There's not a ton of teams that are built in a very bruising mm-hmm. sort of way, like a throwback to the old heavy Los Angeles Kings teams or even that St. Louis Blues team that won the Stanley Cup mm-hmm. in 2019.
0: I just don't see the matchup out there. So if you're just joining the conversation, um, we're not – intentionally trying to be negative about the Canucks. We're talking about what worries might you have about this team now that expectations have risen so significantly, and what worries do you think the management group has that they might potentially be able to solve ahead of the trade deadline? Uh, Mark in White Rock texts in, and this is not an outlier text. We've been getting a lot of texts like this. All this talk about finding line mates for Petey, is that the true issue or is Petey the issue? It's not like he's out there controlling play or doing anything that screams that the only thing standing in his way is his line mates. He fumbles the puck, looks slow, and leads the team in power play giveaways. He is not the franchise player people think he is, in my opinion. Mark is not the only guy. With that opinion, and I think PD's puck management has been a problem at times, especially on the power play. He's been forcing pucks um, and giving away pucks. Puck management has been an issue on three on three in three on three overtime and whatever. I know that's not going to be a factor in the playoffs, but it is important that your best players manage the puck. Better than others. Like, that is your job. Now, Mm. offensive players, you maybe give them a little more leeway. Like, a guy like JT Miller is such a good passer and makes so many things happen on the power play. He makes great passes out there. So, once in a while, when things go awry and he's gunslinging a little bit too much, I personally... Give him a little more leeway just because, you know, like you want to allow him to be creative because he's got such great vision on the power play. He creates a lot of scoring chances just with his cross seam passes. And sometimes those go the wrong way. What I've noticed from Pedersen on the power play a lot is he's skating himself into trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think the book on him is pressure them pressure 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 and he might pass it into your skates
1: okay mark and white rock i want to address a few things here i think it's important not to um confuse highest paid player with franchise player first off if you're talking about if you were to ask me who's the canucks franchise player i'd say Quinn hughes without uh hesitation i'd say it 10 times out of 10 that's pretty cut and dry i don't really even need to follow you can up. have more than one franchise player okay if you were to tell me who's going to be the most important for the canucks uh success in the playoffs, I'd say Hughes is number one and Demko's number two. Right. That would be my take there. So you don't have anyone in the top six, which might... Um... But I think that's the way the team's built and the team's designed. I think you can win that way because Pedersen's still a 100-point guy. Yeah. Right? I think we all need to wrap our heads around this. Like, people trying to... It's it's almost like you're trying to fit a puzzle piece in that that doesn't fit because it's not the right piece. Like if you, if, It's the same guy that's complaining about Bester. Like, Bester is what he is. At this stage of the game, Pedersen is what he is. But he's going to be a really highly paid player, and he's probably going to be the highest paid player because of circumstances, mm-hmm. because of timing, because of when he's coming up and how much he means and how and valuable a 100-point center <laughs> yeah. is in the NHL.
0: You know, the back-to-back 100 points. Like, I, don't, I, I, I don't
1: know what to tell you. You score 100 points, you score 100 points. Yeah, you might have warts in your game, but you're still scoring 100 points, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it was the same situation that we had in Colorado where Rantanen blew the doors off McKinnon's money. And then McKinnon blew the doors off Randon's money. But you know, it's just it's it's a lot more contextual than that. And that's where I wanna like frame it. Like I don't think anything I, I can I can see when people get moderately frustrated or they're like, Woof, this is a guy we're hitching our wagon to and everything. But yeah. then I also look at it and I'm like, but again, understand the current landscape. Centers that are in their early to mid twenties that can put up hundred points are gonna make a ton of money. That's just the way of the world. That, that That's where I'll leave that conversation. So Mike and
0: Kelowna text in, we're not being critical enough. Winning the Stanley Cup is serious business. We are a top six line driver and a top three D scorer away from top three contender status. What
1: does that even mean?
0: Well, it means you need another winger and another top four defenseman. I,
1: when, whenever these texts come in, I always ask these people, I'm like, can you point me to the example of what you're talking about? These perfect teams out there that exist? It's a parody league. Well, There's Colorado no a
0: few team. years ago was as close to perfect as you can get. Right, and, and I don't... Vegas, I think last year was pretty darn perfect.
1: Yeah, but Vegas also like had Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson in that. That's right? true. You yeah, know, that's I mean true. that call and that Colorado team. You know how long that team got to stay together? One year. Yeah, but they did it. And yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. Then it got <laughs> gutted, right? Like, uh, didn't it, get gutted. I mean, Kadri was so huge. That's yeah. what was
0: Landeskog the- being out hurts. Yeah, it, that wasn't. Anything to do with the salary
1: cap? No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that team got, I mean, they're not decimated, but they really got knocked down a peg or two. Like, that year, Kadri was playing better than a lot of teams, 1C. Mm -hmm. And he was plugging in as a 2C behind. By the way, a pretty good 1C in McKinnon. Like, that's what just, that was so tough to deal with. Yeah. Is Kadri was playing, I mean, he had like 90 points that year. He was great.
0: I like this one from three-time Soapbox Derby champion Ronnie Beck. Three times, too. That's impressive. What I'm worried about most is the fact that I'm not worried. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, it's like it's quiet in here.
1: Too quiet. It's too quiet. <laughs> Something's gonna go wrong. I can feel it. Nah, that's not true. It's it's nice. It's refreshing having a prospect pool that you can be somewhat excited by. Because I remember writing also for the Athletic in the in the dark days mm-hmm. where I spent a lot of time writing about Zach McEwen. And uh, Will Lockwood. Yeah, you you were really on the Will Lockwood beat. There wasn't much to go with at the time. Will Lockwood was a bonafide prospect for that group. And then they fast tracked so many of their prospects too. It yep. was it
0: was you didn't really talk about their development. It was like they're on the team now.
1: Yeah, it was it wasn't great. Like I'm not, <laughs> you know, uh, McEwen, who by the way just cleared waivers the other day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he was the shining light for that group in mm. terms of player development because he was a real diamond in the rough yeah but there was also a good story though yeah but there was for
0: for him to even make it to the nhl was a good story for sure but
1: you don't want that guy to be your top prospect and in time you could have made the argument that he might have been
0: well uh the canucks really need to start developing these guys and make sure especially on the blue chippers that they pan out because they don't have a first round pick this season they don't have a second round pick this season, and nobody's complaining about that because they're excited for the playoffs, but um, it does put a little more pressure on uh, the development staff, but also the scouts to go and find the diamonds in the rough. Uh, We should mention Connor McDavid's night last night in the NHL, and as it relates to the Canucks, because the Oilers... Got back to their high-flying ways last night with an 8-4 win over the Detroit Red Wings. This game was actually 3-3 at one point.
1: It was 3-3 going into the third period.
0: And then the Oilers exploded for five goals, and Connor McDavid had six assists on the night. So if you're looking at the standings, uh, the Canucks, because of their win opened up a 10-point lead over the Vegas Golden Knights between first and second in the division. Um, the Golden Knights only have one game in hand on the Canucks, so even if the Golden Knights were to win that game, that's an eight-point cushion for the Canucks, yep. and you imagine they're going to have the tiebreaker with all the regulation wins that the Canucks have this season, 32 compared to Vegas' 24. The Edmonton Oilers are even further back, 15 points back of the Canucks, but they have five games in hand on the Canucks. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, those, those five games, I mean, they win all five of them, which they're perfectly capable of doing, and it brings them up to 73 points, then all of a sudden it's a five-point gap. One thing that I wonder is – um how difficult it's going to be for Edmonton to maintain their pace with such a heavy schedule down the stretch. Yeah. Five games is a lot mm-hmm. when you're talking about how many months are left in the season. Like, they,
1: they go to their do, schedule, they have a ton of back-to-backs.
0: Ton of back-to-backs, right? Of and enough. then the Canucks also have that nine-game home stretch. Mm-hmm. So not only have the Canucks played a heavy away schedule, They've also played just a heavy schedule. I think it was JPAT that tweeted out that they've played their last game in the Eastern uh, time zone, the Canucks have. So even their road trips, in terms of distance traveled and time adjustment, aren't going to be as difficult. So, you know, if you're looking to make up ground, if you're an Oilers fan, you're feeling good. Good about the fact that you haven't played as many games as the Vegas Golden Knights or the Vancouver Canucks, probably more specifically the Vegas Golden Knights. That's probably the most realistic target for the Edmonton Oilers as far as catching a team and uh, at the very least getting home ice advantage for that series, but they might also have their eyes on the Canucks. Maybe still, pe- some people still don't believe in the vancouver canucks and fair enough they haven't made the playoffs in a while
1: the furthest east the canucks go for the remainder of the schedule is minnesota and winnipeg right and with the winnipeg game is the last game of the regular season Mm -hmm. so i mean the travel is significantly different than uh the oilers like the oilers haven't done their eastern canada road swing yet
0: you're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.